Welcome to the Freedom Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are investing in your relationship with the Lord by listening to this message. Check out our YouTube channel for a complete log of all of our sermons. If you would like to know more about FC, visit our website at www.freedomfamily.us. God bless and remember that the best is yet to come. Great and incredible honor it is for us to be here today in the house of the Lord, to lift up the Most High God, to learn about Him, to commune with Him in this place. Are we excited about that today? Amen. So as you heard, our pastor, our fearless leader, Pastor Terrell, and our first lady, Miss Shanda, they are sick with the Ronas today. Uh, they, they got it. I think a lot of us have felt the sting of that, either directly or indirectly, one way or the other. But um, I just, I want to take a moment and, and encourage them from afar. Uh, guys, we love you. Our whole church family loves you. We know you're watching and with us online. It is because of your dedication and your love and your faithfulness and your obedience to God's Holy Spirit that we have a church family to love together. And can we just hear it for our, our pastor and our first lady in this place today? So grateful for their obedience to the Holy Spirit, to their love for us. And so I want to, I want to say a quick word of prayer before I jump into this, because this is one of those things where we're going to cover a lot of Scripture today. Um, and the best thing I can do when approaching Scripture is get out of its way, right? I, I, it doesn't need me. It doesn't need the vehicle that is Adam Goofy Cannon to take, you know, the, this amazing message and translate it in some special way. I want to get out of the way of the gospel so we can go on this adventure to, uh, together, amen? Amen. So let's jump into a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so good. We are reading from the book of Romans. We are reading from an incredibly anointed collection of scriptures today. Help us to draw much wisdom from it. Help us to not just uh, uh, bathe in the water that is your truth, Lord, but help us to consume it. Help us to take it into ourselves. Help us to be transformed by the truth of your word that we can learn better to be a representative of your son's body as we raise as his church, as his bride, as we are obedient. Father, help us to do so. Help none of us to leave this place the same way that we came in. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to I want to preface our dive into Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today. And I'm not going to tell you the verse because it's the whole chapter, right? We're going to just cover the whole chapter of Romans chapter 12. And let me give you guys, while you guys pull up your Bibles or your Bible app on your phone, I want to take just a moment and give you some introduction to the book of Romans. Um, in his preface to Romans, Martin Luther states that it is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well in regards to the book of Romans. Reflecting on these words and his own experience with Romans, John Wesley says he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ. I felt my heart strangely warmed. That's where that quote comes from with John Wesley. Strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken my sins away, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Uh, Furthermore, John Piper expresses the value and dichotomy of Romans, saying, how did this happen? How did it come about that the most important theological Christian work ever written came from a former Jewish Pharisee who hated Christianity and helped kill the first Christian martyr and persecuted the early church with the passion? That is uh, who we read about as Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. And then finally, concerning Romans chapters 1, verses 20 through 21, 
21, Charles Spurgeon writes the following. This first chapter of the epistle of Romans is a dreadful portion of the word of God. I should hardly like to read it at all aloud. It is not intended to be used, read read it at home, and be startled at the awful vices of the Gentile world. Unmentionable crimes were the common pleasure of those wicked ages, but the chapter is also a striking picture of heathenism and the present future theme. So, really jolly ideas, right, coming from Charles Spurgeon and regards. This is a heavy book. I've heard other pastors, preachers say that the book of Romans is essentially all of scripture condensed into a single book. And what we're reading from the 12th chapter is indeed intense because church, believe it or not, we are at war. We're at war. Some of you guys have felt it this week. I know that our pastor has felt it in the weeks leading up to this, right? This major shoulder surgery that he's had, finally getting back behind the pulpit where God has called him to be to deliver a word like no one else can to our church family, and suddenly COVID strikes, right? And we've all had personal experiences like this. Can you guys agree that the last few weeks, maybe the last few months, maybe the last few years, been a little rough, amen, right? There's been some challenges. There's been some highs to be certain by God's grace, but there's for sure been some lows, right? Some pits and some peaks. There's, there's been a little bit of that experience. Well, I want to talk a little bit about how wars were fought back in the day. This is a really cool conversation that me and the rest of the staffers have had this past week about it. So wars were often fought in the summertime. Do you guys know this? In old times, like uh, the last time I spoke, I spoke about David and how he was actually supposed to go out to a season of war, decided not to, and that started this chain reaction of sin that just continued to snowball and escalate, leading to not great things for him. Wars were often fought in the summer because food was available, right? Most soldiers were also farmers, so they had to be available uh, to harvest during the fall and, and uh, spring. Um, They had to be workable. Diseases would develop and spread more rapidly throughout the wetter seasons. And uh, most of us don't realize that the war being waged around or within, if we do, we're not sure how to soldier up. Right? There's a war taking place in a spiritual realm where there's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, that wants to take everything from your life that is of actual value and replace it with empty feel-good. Do you guys understand that we have this war that's taking place? There's this constant temptation to pull away from the, the actual nutrition that Scripture gives our soul and replace it with empty fluff, right? Sort of like spiritual junk food, so to speak. Something that, you know, you can eat it and it make, might make you feel kind of okay, but all in all, it doesn't give you, offer you any nutrition. It doesn't build you up and doesn't grow you stronger. Well, that's what we're looking at when we're talking about Romans chapter 12. This is a, a chapter in scripture that is deeply challenging because it wages war on some of the most common antics that Satan will try to use to defeat us, to keep us oppressed, to keep us beat down, to keep us from pursuing a closer relationship with Christ. Right. I apologize when I get passionate. This is the splash zone. I'm glad you guys brought blankets. Just pull it up if it gets too much. I apologize. So, um, I, just, I get passionate. I love what I'm talking about. I love the Lord. I love the scriptures. And we're about to dive into it. So we have a war being waged within us. And we are either combatants in that war or we are victims of it. But the choice is ours. Like Pastor T told us last Sunday, we've got a decision to make. We have a side to pick. Right? We have a side to choose in this war. And there's, and there's four things that are under assault right now, particularly in this season of war, that I think the church needs to rise up and recognize. There's a war on self. There's a war on religion. 
There's a war on pride. And finally, there's a war on ignorance. And whether we realize this or not, all four of these elements are touched on in the uh, 12th chapter of the book of Romans. So without delay, let's jump into the good stuff. Let's dig into God's word and let's find out the truth that he has in store for us. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So, chapter 12, verse 1 starts off with some pretty strong language. Offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, what, what does that mean? That means we're all destined for martyrdom? No. You've heard people say a lot of times, I'm willing to die for God. And yet, I find the list to be much smaller than people that are willing to live for God. Right? God doesn't ask us to give our lives up for him. Quite the contrary. He gave his life up for us through his son Jesus. Right? God wrapped himself in human flesh, was born unto the Virgin Mary, came to us, lived a perfect life empowered by nothing but the Holy Spirit, not his own divinity, just to show us that it could be done. He conquered temptation, he conquered sin, he conquered death, conquered hell, conquered the grave, did it all for us so that we would ultimately no longer have to make that ultimate sacrifice to then find ourselves in a seat of redemption. Jesus redeems us. So what does it mean to make our bodies a living sacrifice? Have you guys ever wondered that? Have you guys ever read this piece of scripture and you're like, hmm, what does that mean? Right? I have. Just me? Okay, cool. Just me. Well, when I've wondered this, uh, it's been a bit confusing. And then by God's grace, I was praying about this and thinking about this. What does making our body a living sacrifice mean, right? I think that's the key word. We're not a dying sacrifice because that's what a sacrifice is, right? It's giving your life for someone else. No greater love exists than this when a brother willing to lay down his life for another, right? That's, that's sacrificial. But what is a living sacrifice, Think about that for a second. What is a living sacrifice? Well, when we make our bodies a living sacrifice, then we are spending every single day in submission and obedience to the highest power of the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives. That's a living sacrifice. That is the truth of discipleship. It's when we deny ourselves, right? The very first war is the war on self. And we've got to think about this. In 2022, there's a lot of stuff pointing to self. I digress. Let's continue. Verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, here's what this isn't saying. This scripture isn't saying you need to be perfect. No, 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 no. What this scripture is saying is God's will for you is perfect. How compliant will you be with that will? Right? Because there's no mistake we're ever going to make. There's no bad decision that's ever going to come from us. There's no, like, secret that we've got that God is just clutching his pearls at to discover. Right? He knows. He knows. He knows what's going on. He knows before we ever made them. In the beginning of time, when he fashioned humans into existence with dust of the earth and his own divine breath, he knew what we were going to do. At no point was he shocked when the nails were piercing his hands and feet. He knew why he was doing it. He saw every sin that we would ever commit. He knew. 
So why would we anticipate him to expect us to be perfect when, like, the whole reason he died is because he gets it. We can't be there. But his will for us, now that's a different story. His design for us. Because, like, think about this. We weren't made for sin. In the very beginning of time when Adam and Eve were created, and like I said, dust of the earth, breath of God, they entered into Eden. When Adam and Eve were created by God, we weren't created for sin. There was no death. There was no sin. There was no confusion. Then along comes a serpent, and the rest, as they say, is history. Right? It took place. Sin entered, and God in his mercy allowed death to take place so that we wouldn't have to live forever in our sin. And then Jesus comes to rescue us as the second Adam, not making the same mistakes and choices as the first Adam. He comes to redeem us ultimately. And that's just verse 2. We've got like 18-ish more. This is fun. Okay, so verse number three, we continue moving. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul speaking in the first person, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you're better than you really are. Mm. He says, don't think that you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. So I think before we look at what he's saying, I want to look at what he's not saying. What he's not saying is measure yourself by the person that you work with. Or measure yourself by the person leading the family that you want to have. Or measure yourself by that celebrity with the banging Instagram story, right? Or measure yourself against your favorite, I don't know, fitness guru or your favorite financial guru or your favorite whatever. This doesn't say measure yourself by someone else's measure. This says measure yourself by the faith God has given you. So we're so, suddenly we're not looking to the left and right. We're not comparing ourselves to others. We're not freaking out because we're not keeping up with the Joneses or the Kardashians. We don't care who we're trying to keep up with. The Holy Spirit who is alive and who wants to be within us by the blood of Christ has a measure for us, has a direction for us. And when we think of ourselves as higher than we really are when we don't take an actual evaluation of where we're at and we instead get prideful and we get haughty and we think suddenly our value is based on our social media story. We think that our value is based on our bank account. We think that our value is based on whatever. Any metric or measure that is not God's calling in our life is wrong. And it will ultimately lead to heartache. It will ultimately lead to pain, frustration, hurt. This is what God wants us to avoid. This is what God wants us to get away from. Is there anything wrong with having an awesome social media account? No. Is there anything wrong with having a good bank account? No. A good income? No. Nothing at all is wrong with any of those things until we gauge our success, until we gauge our value, until we gauge our worth by those things that are not what the Holy Spirit told us to be. You are more than your bank account. You are more than your ability as a provider. You are more than your social media account. You are more than all of these metrics that the world worships. You're more. So much more. But that's not always easy to see, is it? It's easy to say. 
Super easy to say. It's super easy to read that little, little fortune cookie excerpt and feel good about it and then go home and then forget about it by the end of the Titans game, right? It's, it's, it's easy to go through that process. But like I said earlier in the prayer, and I, and I, I said this, we had a Q&A night with our youth um, a week before last. Really cool Q&A night. We gave our youth the opportunity to uh, text in questions that they had on this website, and this website populates a list, and they can upvote, and it's completely anonymous, so we don't know where these questions are coming from. So it's like, it, it's a little scary for us to do this, uh, but there's a panel of us as leaders up front, and, and we could get anything, and I'm telling y'all, church, we do get anything uh, that, that comes into this, and one of the questions that we had was sort of leaning towards uh, a favorite verses and stuff like that, and one of the things that I said was that if, if we are not memorizing scripture, if we are not taking scripture into ourselves, then we're bathing in the water that we could be drinking. And here's what I mean when I say that. When we read scripture, when we study scripture, when we dig into the word, there's nothing but good that can come of it. Nothing at all but good that can come of it. Whether we memorize it, whether we think about it, whether we just read it, right? It's the word of God. It's living water. It is life for us. It's good. But if we start memorizing the scriptures, if we have an understanding of the scriptures, maybe even not word for word, just enough to take these concepts and these truths and embed it into our hearts. When Jesus first started his pilgrimage, what happened? Immediately after he was baptized by John the baptizer, what happened? He went out in the desert for 40 days of fasting and he was tempted by the devil in all the ways possible. He was tempted by the devil. And every time Satan tempted Christ, how did Jesus respond? by quoting scripture, word for word. This didn't just happen once, this didn't just happen twice, this happened three times, and on the third time, Satan starts to pick up on this, and so he does what he did to trip up our first parents, he misquotes the word of God. He takes a piece of scripture and changes a little piece of it. Did God not say, and tries to take it and misalign it, and he, and he takes it out of context and he misuses it, right? This is the lie that he shared with our very first parents. We said, did God not say that you would surely not die when you eat of this fruit, right? Our first parents fell for this. The second Adam did not because he understood the truth of Scripture. Satan could not weaponize something he was ignorant to because he was not ignorant to it. He understood the word of God. And he took what was weaponized against him and he covered it with truth and suddenly that weapon became dull and ineffective to bring him down. Church, this is an example set by our perfect example, by Jesus. When we read these scriptures, when we read these words and we take them upon ourselves, the truth is manifest within us and the enemy doesn't have that room to get that hold in that place in our lives. This is not just defending us. Leaders of homes, this is defending our families. Leaders of people, this is defending those who we're responsible for. Right? Where's Satan going to attack? The most vulnerable and the most effective. So what's our responsibility to do as leaders, as parents? What's our responsibility? Kids, guys, youngins, listen up. Like, you think y'all aren't targets? I'm gonna tell you right now. There's no like, junior Satan that's coming after you and trying to dissuade you guys, right? It is the real deal. The same Satan that's coming after all of us grown-ups is coming after you guys. And I can tell you as a youth pastor, as a young adult pastor, as, as one of the pastors of the church, 
right? We fight defensively in prayer. We wage war with the sword of the Lord that is the word of God. We wage war with this thing on behalf of all of you guys because it's our honor to do so. It's our responsibility to do so. And that's, and that's the culture that we live in. We live in a culture of self. Would you guys agree to that? In social media, everyone has this monument to self. Again, there's nothing wrong with social media. But when we wage war on this idea that we're bigger than other people, we're better than other people, or we're only as good as we are getting close to someone else's example that we're setting, it's all focused on self. The war that we're waging is against self. And if we step away and instead we say, hey, I'm not my metric, I'm not my value, I am the Holy Spirit's metric, I am the Holy Spirit's value. What he says that he wants from me, that's what I'm gonna chase after, amen? All right, verse four. All right, now we move on. So we've looked on the war on self. Verse four is probably one of my favorite points we're gonna hit today. So this is the war on religion. Verse four, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with the body of Christ. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So, if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. How many parents do we have in this room? Quite a few. Okay, how many of you guys have had this experience? Child A uh, does something to dishonor child B, and you say, child A, now apologize to child B, and child A does this, I'm sorry. Right? Or, or even, this is, this is my favorite, this is more like the sass level of my children, where they're like, now apologize, and you go, sorry. Right? Okay, let's be honest. Grown-ups, we've done this, just a little more tactfully, right? It's like, hey, you need to make this right. And you go to, it's like, hey, I'm terribly sorry that you feel this way, right? Like, we, we, don't, we don't take ownership when we do that, right? We're blame-shifting. We're moving stuff around. We're not really sorry. We're not really repentant. But look, here's, here's what the Scripture is saying. God designed you with a purpose. God gifted you for a specific purpose, Are you fulfilling that purpose at all? And if you are, are you fulfilling it begrudgingly? Are you fulfilling it with like, oh, I'm doing this again. These kids are never grateful. This world is never kind to me. Oh, I'm just, uh," you know, like you're an angsty teenager, right? Like we do this, don't we? When we, we know, we know like we're gifted to speak or we're gifted to teach or we're gifted to serve or we're gifted to lift up and you just wake up with that, I don't feel like doing anything today, right? We have that, you know, you just, Am I alone here? Do you guys feel this with me? Please feel this with me. Thank you. Okay, we're on the same page now. This happens, right? We get exhausted. We get bummed out. We get discouraged. Maybe we don't like the circumstances around which our calling is being fulfilled. Maybe we're like, God, I'm just going to hang out and wait until you call me to something else. And God's over here like, well, I've called you here. What are you doing now that I've called you here? And we're like, no, you're going to call me somewhere else soon. 
right? But God's like, Jonah, maybe I want you in the belly of this whale. Daniel, maybe I want you in the lion's den. Joseph, maybe I want you in prison after being falsely accused of something. Jesus, maybe I want you on the cross for their sins, even though you didn't put yourself there. Even though it's not your sins holding you to that cross, even though it's the sins of the world and it's painful and it's brutal and it hurts, I still want you there. And Christ's response to it was not your will but mine. Father, if I don't have to drink this bitter cup, let it pass from me. And God, with all of his love and compassion and wisdom and knowledge and perfection, said no. He said no. He said, you are right where I want you. Keep going. You are right where I want you. Keep going. And we say, but God, I don't want to be here. God goes, I know. My heart breaks for that. But you're right where I want you, so keep going. Keep going. Keep going. This is where religion gets in the way. This is where people say, oh, you don't have to keep going, so we're just going to divide. We're just going to separate. You don't have to keep going because you don't like these people. That's cool. You don't have to interact with these people. We're going to segregate, and we're going to move away from these people that we're supposed to be serving and loving and be close to. And we're going to divide, and religion's going to jump in, and we're going to have all these crazy denominations. And here's what religion does. Religion divides the church and confuses everybody outside of it. Understand this, Jesus died because he offended the religious people. Like, we understand that he died for our sin. But the justification that all the religious people of this day was, he's breaking our customs. He's messing stuff up for us. If you guys have seen The Incredibles, he's penetrating the bureaucracy, right? You guys seen The Incredibles? It's a beautiful film. You got to see it. It's, it's poetic. Um, but, like, that's, that's what happened. He was messing things up for the political figureheads of the day because they were using religion to manipulate and control people. And Jesus took a stand against it. They couldn't have it, so they're like, let's falsely accuse him and kill the guy. And Jesus, in, like, what is the ultimate Uno reverse draw four card, was like, guess what? I'm going to use this to free all of humanity. Right? But that's what God does when we find ourselves in compromising situations that we don't want to be in, but God has called us to be there. Don't let religion draw you from that place. Don't let confusion move you from where God wants you to be because the world that is on the outside of the church looking in sees what's happening and your actions, the life that you live, your level of obedience to the Holy Spirit might be the difference for them. It might be what gets them not to have one more reason to believe that Christians are hypocrites or one more reason to believe that the church is some house divided against itself. Don't give them one more reason to think these things. If we are truly obedient to God, we will see religion fall and faithfulness grow in its place. And that's what we want to see as the body of Christ. We are one body. Every single person in this room has a calling on your life. I talked to someone the other day who was a Christian, and they were like, well, I just don't know that I'm called to ministry. I'm like, what? You, uh, can you fog a mirror? Like, if you have breath in your body, you're called to ministry. 
right? There's, there's a great calling on every unbeliever, and that's to become a believer. There's a great calling on every believer, and that's to become a disciple. There's a great calling on every disciple, and that is to fulfill your calling. It's to minister to the gospel, whether it's behind a pulpit or a broom. It doesn't matter whether it's behind a desk or a computer, whether it's coming from a janitor's closet or a coach's booth doesn't matter where you are. You have an opportunity to reach people for the gospel. And when we get so caught up on the religion, which is what Satan wants us to do, when we get caught up on the numbers, when we get caught up on the attitudes, when we get caught up on the people, when we get caught up on the stuff that's not the Holy Spirit, and we allow that to divide the things that are of the Holy Spirit, we are not waging war. We are victims of it. Does that make sense? Praise God. Moving on. I'm turning the page. Here we go. That was metaphorical and literal, and I got a few chuckles out of it, so it was worth it. So, verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Okay, this is, this is the war on pride. This one's going to be, so just hang on. Verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Be patient in trouble. Be patient in trouble. This is long-suffering. This is endurance. These are all really hurty words. Be patient in trouble trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. That's called empathy, by the way. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, basic people, weird people. I can keep, what's it called, the thesauricizing this all the live long day, but you get what I'm saying. The people you don't want to have company with, have company with them. And don't think you know it all. <laughs> don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil for more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Christian hippies in the 70s had this figured out, man. It was far out, man. I don't know, I wasn't there. So, I just know this is a thing. Lord help me. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. Pride, on the other hand, is the mother of all sins and the original sin of Lucifer, an instrument strung but preferring to play itself because it thinks it knows the tune better than the musician. That's pride. That's pride. When God says, I've called you to do this thing, and you're like, mm, you sure? God's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm pretty sure. And we're like, are you sure you're sure? Because I don't really want to. God's like, I know, this will grow you. And you're like, that's a scary word. <laughs> because it is, it's a scary word. Growth means you're going somewhere that you've never been to do something that you've never done to accomplish something you've never accomplished. It's freaking scary, right? 
particularly if it's alongside someone you don't really like, you know? (laughs) Because that's what God's going to do. That's where God's going to put you. But here's the conclusion. Verse 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. We're talking about ignorance now. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 32, 35. Instead, quote, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. That is assisting them on their path to conviction. Not convicting them, there's a big difference. God convicts them. We love them, which drives them to conviction. Amen? Listen, we love them. We don't convict them. We love them. We are good to them. We bless them. We pour good over them, and that leads them down the route to conviction to submit themselves to God. We don't place our convictions on other people. That's not cool. That's not how God works conviction. Your conviction is your conviction. Amen? Thank you. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Right? Good. You've seen that movie, huh? Cool. Um, So ignorance is not stupidity. Ignorance just means being uninformed. It just means being uninformed. And what happens is, We have the truth in our hands. We have the truth on our phones. It's accessible 24 hours a day. We, as no other generation before us, have access to the word of God through a multitude of mediums in such a way that it never has to leave our side. And yet, the proverbial dust would be building on the scriptures. And we stand and ask God, how come you're not telling me what to do? And God's like, I'm right here. I gave you lots of words. Listen to those first. Right? We have the entirety of the word of God. Genesis to Revelation, 66 books of good stuff. And we want to distance ourselves from its study. We want to distance ourselves from its truth. We want to distance ourselves from its wisdom and be like, God, how come I don't have truth or wisdom or knowledge or understanding? It's like when you give your kids a meal and it's not what they want so they go hungry and then they gripe about being hungry. I'm so hungry. I'm like, well, Brussels sprouts McGee, you had food in front of you. but you didn't want it. Like, yeah, your pee's gonna smell a little funny, but it's gonna be good for you. And it's gonna help you. Oh, don't judge like you don't know that. You are being very judgy right now, and I don't appreciate it. But God does this with us. He's like, I've given you good stuff because you have to take the time to read it. You don't want it. And then you wanna gripe about not having enough wisdom. I'm gonna give you all the wisdom. We have an entire book called Proverbs. And before that is the Psalms. It's written by his dad. It's a great book. You should check it out. It's here. 
You know how much the Bible app costs? You know how much version costs on your phone? Free. It's free. And you have a bazillion different translations in that one book. Pick your favorite. The best translation of the Bible is the one you read. That's what I'm trying to encourage you toward. Like, we stand on the outside so much having been invited inside. We stand on the outside saying, I want wisdom, I want knowledge. God, when are you gonna give it to me? God, when are you gonna call me somewhere else? God, when are you gonna put me somewhere else? God, when are you gonna let me do something else? And God's like, I've got lots of things for you to do here and now that you're ignoring. Why am I gonna send you there then? Right? This is a tough pill to swallow. Like, I'm, I'm choking it down too. I'm with you guys, same page. So I wanna close out with this. This war that it's, it's raging, it's real. We have a war against our pride. We have a war going on against self. We have a war going on against religion. And we have a war going on against ignorance. Remember, ignorance doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you're uninformed. But at some point in time, we have to take responsibility for our own ignorance when the truth has been in front of us for years and we choose not to take advantage of it. The truth is in front of us. Scripture says, behold, I stand at the door and knock whoever would open and let me in. He's knocking. He's standing at the door. He's begging to come in and change things. He's begging Christians to pour more wisdom into our lives to make us more effective for the kingdom. Non-believers, he is longing to begin that relationship with you. You may not know him yet, but scripture tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't know if you haven't tasted. I promise, if you don't know Jesus, whatever your perception of him is, it's probably off. It's probably way, way, way less than what he really has to offer you. Because if you knew what I know, you would not hesitate a moment more. I believe that in my heart of hearts. Everything that is good, everything that is right, everything that is decent about me comes from God, comes from the Holy Spirit's activity in my life because I know how big of a mess I am. No one in this room knows how big of a mess I am. And I'm sure I'm not the only person that feels that way here this morning. But no matter how you feel, no matter the mess, God is an expert at cleaning it. God is an expert at taking the broken pieces of what was an inferior puzzle and putting it together to make beautiful art, to find your purpose, to find your truth. Whether we choose it or not, we find ourselves in one of two postures. We are either aligning with the Holy Spirit and going to war against self and against religion and against pride and against ignorance, or we are embracing each of them to the enemy's delight. We are embracing our pride. We are embracing religion that divides us. We are embracing ignorance. We're embracing self as though that's gonna do anything for us. So I wanna do something this morning, if, if, if you could. If, 
I was raised in church, so if I've done this once, I've done this a thousand times, being on that side of it, right? The pastor says, okay, if you would, um, close your hands and bow your eyes. Um, some of y'all got that, thank you. Pastor will say, close, close your eyes, bow your heads. No one looking around. And then you, you see like two or three people up and looking around, but the only reason you see it is because you're also looking around. Like, don't do that. Um, I'm telling you as someone who's done that. Um, I, I want us to honor the vulnerability of the people around us. And I don't want to take for granted, no matter how well we know someone, that they know Jesus. It is really easy to play church. It is really easy to say the right things. It is really easy to dress the right way, to greet the right people, to lock eyes and shake hands with the people around you that you see once a week because that's the only time you've got to see them. It's really easy to look the part. But you can look the part and still have a broken heart because you don't truly know. You haven't actually tasted and seen. That's our encouragement to our young people. We don't want our young people to be renting your faith. Parents, we don't want our young people to just be on borrowed time because they see what you do and they do what you do, but they never buy in. They never make their faith their own. I'm not satisfied with that. We're not satisfied with that for our young people. Let me tell you, in the past three months, we've seen no fewer than 10 young people give their heart and life to Christ. Yeah. And here's the coolest part. That has nothing to do with any of us, everything to do with the Holy Spirit. Because he is real, and the real Holy Spirit wants to reach your children. The real Holy Spirit wants to reach you. The real Satan, who is an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy, a roaring lion consuming whom he may devour, is after you. He is after your kids, and we are waging war. So are you walking into victimhood? Or are you bracing yourself for the fight? Are you allowing the armor of the Lord to cover you? Are you allowing the blood of Christ to bring you clean, to, or to bring you cleanliness, to bring you wholeness, to bring you health, to bring you wellness, to bring you joy, to bring you peace, to bring you strength, to bring you everything you need to enter this war and come out victorious? Or are you standing back and letting that heart break a little more every single beat? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I know it's an uncomfortable posture. I won't ask you to keep it for long because I love you. Here's what I want. I wanna take a moment to invite those who do not yet have or understand what a relationship with Jesus is like. And I want today to be the day of salvation. I want today to be the moment that everything changes. I want today for you to taste and see. I'm just asking you to taste, but I'm trusting that he will help you see that the Lord is good because that's what he did for me. That's what he's done for countless people that I know and love. And this is how we do it. This is how we do it. It's this simple prayer. And if you don't know Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Lord, I have sinned against you. 
I cannot make myself clean. I can't fix me. But I believe that you can. I know that you died to fix me. I know that you were broken so that I would be made whole. I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins. I believe that my name is currently being written in the Lamb's book of life. I know that there is a celebration taking place because I have chosen Jesus and I will follow Jesus and I will love Jesus because he first loved me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.